This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. 16 years ago, Kate Bush made her storybook entrance into the pop music world. She was discovered by guitarist David Gilmour of Pink Floyd. Her first album went straight to the top of the British pop charts while she was still a teenager. Bush developed a loyal following in the United States and even scored a top 30 hit with the song Running Up That Hill. But further success has eluded her here. She's never done a concert in the U.S., in part because she doesn't like to fly. Bush has released her eighth album, The Red Shoes, which is receiving praise from critics and fans and once again getting her some airplay.
of Strange Phenomena, the music of Kate Bush. As always, I am your very bubbly host, Cecily. And 
Wow, we've got a really cool episode for you guys. We are doing an album introduction episode because get this, guys, we have now made it through six albums so far. Six albums. We started with The Kick Inside. I can't believe it's already been like five years since I put that out. Holy crap. And then we have Lionheart. We've talked about Never Forever, The Dreaming, Hounds of Love, The Central World. And now we're going to be talking about The Red Shoes. So that's what we're going to be talking about this season. So we're going to be talking about the album songs. We'll talk about the B-sides, um, two of which you just heard there in that little little mix that I made. Um, show a little devotion and you want alchemy. And also there are some um, collaborations that Kate Bush did during this time too. So we'll be talking about those. So I'm, as always, super excited to be talking about more Kate Bush songs. We've also got a lot of guests who are going to be on this season who have not already been on the show before. So we'll get to hear from some new folks. Um, and so super excited as always, as always, 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 always happy to be talking about Kate Bush with you guys. And so this episode is an album introduction episode. So if you've been following the show for a while, you know how the format goes. You know that it consists of me talking with another fan about just the general, uh, just generally about the album. Like, how did it do? What were the singles? Uh, what was the reception? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then we'll start to get into like actual song episodes coming up for the next, I guess, 16, 17 weeks. <laughs> so that's what we got going on in this episode. And in this episode, we're going to be talking with a uh, familiar face or familiar voice, I should say, um, from the show. We are friends outside of the show as well. We're going to be talking with Zoe. So we're going to be talking in general about the album, our favorite songs, all that fun stuff. And I'm really excited for you guys to hear our conversation. Now, it's worth noting that I'm recording this now in July. In fact, this is July 1st that I'm recording this. July 1st, 2022. When we recorded this, it was mid-March of 2022. So there are some brief mentions in our discussion about like, oh, she's never charted much higher than this in the United States and blah, blah, blah. Um, so when we recorded this, obviously Stranger Things was not out yet. So obviously things have changed <laughs> a little since then. But just so you know, just, you just so that you guys don't go, mm, wait, but she's now charted better here now. That's because of when we recorded this, it was in March and we're now in July. Uh, that's a post Stranger Things world, <laughs> if you will. So without further ado, Let's get on into it. I'm really excited for you guys to hear our discussion in general of the Red Shoes, the album, and all that fun stuff. So let's get on into it. Here we go. And actually, before we do, hey, one more little note here. This is future editing Cecily here. I just wanted to mention that at some points, some of my audio was a little bit crackly. I'm not sure exactly what happened. But if you notice that in the episode, I do apologize. I've tried to mitigate it as much as I can. But in any case, I don't think that it will affect your enjoyment of the episode. So now, here we go. Now let's get on into it. Well, welcome everybody to Strange Phenomena, the music of Kate Bush. So we are doing a very special episode this week. We're doing an album introduction episode because we're going to be starting a new season. We're going to be starting The Red Shoes. So today we're going to be giving an overview of the album and the singles and chart placements and things like that. All the little things 
talking about the album. And with me to talk about the album this week is a friend of the show and frequent guest also of the show. We have none other than... Hi, I'm Zoe and very happy to be back. And, and as I said earlier, the Kate Bush expanded universe, cinematic universe. So um, before she took a break from that universe and is on one as of this recording too. So um, of almost the same amount of time as so because between the Red Shoes and Ariel was 12 years and we are currently on, we will be on 11 in 2022 since last work. So... She's like, go. She's like, I want to be my record. <laughs> you know, I, I was actually thinking about that the other day. I was going, oh, yeah, it has been almost 11 years. But okay. it hasn't felt as long this time. And I think it's because at least in that time, there have been other things going on. It just hasn't been like, hey, y'all, I'm going to drop an album four years in. Hey. <laughs> and also she did Before the Dawn. So yeah. Mm-hmm. We've gotten so much more from that. Yeah. But um, so today we're going to be talking about the Red Shoes. So this was the seventh studio album by English musician Kate Bush. Released on November 1st, 1993, it was accompanied by Bush's short film, The Lion, the Cross and the Curve, and was her last album before the 12-year hiatus. So that's the basic overview of the album, um, at least of the... uh, you know, basic album information. Of course, there's much more to talk about with this. So where do we want to start with uh, talking about this album here? Yes, yeah, so I guess, as we know, The Sensual World was released in 1989. This was released in 1993. What happened between those years? How did this album come to be? So there's quite a bit of interesting here. So in that time, I guess at some point she watched... A 1948 film, also called The Red Shoes, which I've seen. I watched mm-hmm. it for a uh, a music, uh, not music project, a uh, movie project where I had to go. I was watching the um, Best Picture nominees and also Best Picture winners, and this was the movie was nominated for Best Picture in I guess this would have been 1949, and. So the the album was inspired by the film, The Red Shoes, uh, by Michael Powell and Emmerich Pressburger. And the film, in turn, was inspired by the fairy tale of the same name by Hans Christian Andersen. And this was a this was a fairy tale I remember reading when I was a kid. And it, it was in an anthology of Hans Christian Andersen's. Um, fairy tales and so I remember reading the story and it's it's about a dancer who puts on these beautiful red shoes and absolutely cannot stop dancing and it gets kind of gory toward the end because <laughs> she oh, just yeah. like keeps dancing and dancing and dancing and like she can't get the shoes off and she just eventually just keels over and dies because fairy tales are actually much darker than you think they are <laughs> mm-hmm. I say as I laugh but really it's like yeah I mean they are kind of dark um I mean, come on, his version of The Little Mermaid is like, whoa, wait a minute, this is dark, my God. Um, So Bush had suggested that um, she was going to tour for the album. Um, So this is part of the story of the album. Like she was, she even announced at the Kate Bush convention that, hey, I'm going to tour with this. And so she deliberately aimed for a live band feel with less of the studio trickery that had typified her last three albums 
which would be difficult to recreate on stage. I kind of take issue with that statement, but okay. Um, however, of course, as we know, the tour unfortunately never happened. And instead, a few months after the release of The Red Shoes, she released a movie incorporating six tracks from the album called The Line, The Cross, and The Curve. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, within that time, a lot a lot had also kind of gone on. Um, she also featured many more high-profile cameo appearances than she'd ever done before on her other, on her other albums, like... Um, Use of uh, most notably Prince, <laughs> lots of significant contributions from Prince for "Why Should I Love You." There were uh, there was guitar work from Jeff Beck and Eric Clapton, and so is Love, and um, Gary Brooker from the band Procol Harum, uh, who were best known for "Whiter Shade of Pale" in the late sixties, also appeared on two tracks. Um, I didn't find out which two tracks he was on, but mm, I'll punch that in later. <laughs> So this is future Cecily here in the editing process. Actually, Gary Brooker played on three songs from this album. He played the Hammond organ. He played it on And So Is Love, Constellation of the Heart, and You're the One. So it's actually three songs, not two. Also, it's worth noting that he played keyboards when Kate performed The Wedding List at the Princess Trust Rock Gala on July 12, 1982. So another little fun fact there. All right. Anyway, back to the show. Um... And then also at this time, too, she was going through a lot of emotional and personal things like she um, her longtime guitarist, Alan Murphy, he died um, during that time. And also one of her dancers from the tour of life passed away. He passed away from AIDS and she was also dealing with her mother who had passed away. So there was a lot of that. Going. It, honestly, it's a lot. There was a lot going on in those three years. My God. Mm-hmm. And so she talked a lot about how um, she talked about how, like, her mother's death is not part of the album. She said, I wasn't able to haven't been able to write about it, any of it. Nevertheless, the experiences there are being expressed in various subliminal things, like the quality of some of the performances. Mm-hmm. And so, like, so her mom, I don't remember exactly when she died, but around 1991, when Kate did her Rocket Man cover on Wogan, because that was her favorite, her favorite show, Kate had, like, the and Wogan himself give a little shout out to her. Um, so it was really, so she was sick and dying over the course of the years in between um, Central World and the Red Shoes. And then in addition to, um, she and Del Palmer, her bass player and engineer ended their relationship of 15 years so while also working Mm. on this album at the same time and he has continued to be an engineer for her work her spare work since then um so a lot yeah as you said a lot going on um Mm -hmm. and which she says doesn't really inform it but we don't really know because she also at this point in her career is more guarded around Mm -hmm. interviews guarded around interviewers i think after the 1985 night flight interview she's like i don't trust any of you so (laughs) for real (laughs) um so she just so she just kind of says whatever has to be said del palmer said the idea of this album was to get it recorded quickly and get out on the road with it um yeah something i find interesting is like I don't know if she actually has said that the whole album is inspired by the film The Red Shoes. I would prefer this. I would I'm I would love to hear her make an album that was like very much. And we'll talk about this later. 
for me, one of the reasons I don't find this album as strong as her others is because there doesn't seem to be stuff that, uni like, a unifying either, like, um, emotional or mm -hmm. musical theme to the work. And something, she has, and, like, a, a Red Shoes concept album or fairy tale concept album would be very cool, especially because with the Red Shoes, um, the original fairy tale and the movie for those of you who haven't seen it it's incredible watch it oh, yeah. it's so beautiful mm -hmm. um it's about this young dancer named victoria page um played by moira shearer and um about like her own struggle between art and life there's a really i think the most famous part of the movie is when the um head of the ballet company asks her why do you want to dance and she says why do you want to live mm -hmm. um and so part. yeah it's very memorable so the fairy tale has been, and the movie, have both been interpreted as the idea of being possessed by art and wanting to upset, embrace the obsession in ways where it can take control of you. And I find that really interesting in the frame of her career, that concept mm -hmm. of the quote I just shared, because her art, she has always said, I'm a writer. I've never looked for fame. It just kind of happened to me. And it reminds me of the way, like she, her art carried her into unexpected and often uncomfortable directions in the same way that these red shoes pull the protagonist of that story out of her control. They're just, they keep her dancing and dancing when she doesn't want to be dancing anymore. And I want, I think, and at one point, Kate, I think did take agency, like in the story, the Hunter Anderson story, at one point, she, as she said, it's gory, she like cuts her feet off. Yep. in order to stop dancing and I wonder if that's kind of the equivalent of her taking a 12-year hiatus or her choosing mm -hmm. not to tour you know like she has taken agency over her life in ways that the girl in the story can't but she is somebody who like has she's talked about feeling objectified the song I if you go back to our episode about the song get out of my house from years ago um I have talked at length about how I believe that song is like a allegory and meta, like a lot of metaphors about her experience of being a woman in the public spotlight mm -hmm. and objectified as a woman. So Del Palmer too, it's interesting. Like it feels like the shoes and her own music, music gift for music are akin in a way because they pull them. Like Del Palmer at one point described her as a driven person. It's like what she was, this is what she had to do. It's like God put her on this mm -hmm. earth to do this. So kind of if you were to ask Kate Bush, be like, why do you make music? Maybe she would say, why do you live? Um, you know, both are just these forces that pull them as if from outside themselves. And mm -hmm. I think that could be a really interesting album concept. I don't think we actually see a lot of that. There is, of course, the title track, my favorite song on the album, yeah. which is about the like directly about the story in a very literal because it's Kate Bush and she's always very literal kind of way. <laughs> um, but it would be cool to see, I don't know what like a Red Shoes concept album would look like, but yeah, and it also continues her tradition of being impacted by film because, you know, mm -hmm. Red Shoes is a classic film and she's incorporated cin like cinematic references into a lot of her work. Um, and of course then made a short film from six of the songs here with the line across the curve, which Cecily and I will do an episode about later on. Um, but yeah, just it's interesting because I think the Red Shoes as a story and the themes it brings up is a lot more evocative and compelling than what this album ended up being. Um, and I and it, I think it's interesting to always think about what does somebody choose as the title? Like, why did she choose as the title? What is it speaking to? And I think, as I said, what this story speaks to is the idea of like art pulling you as a force, like an uncontrollable force outside of yourself. And I mm -hmm. wonder if that's something that resonated with her and why she chose it as the title.
Yeah. And the time the cover image. This is the first cover image she has. It doesn't show her on it. A pair. It shows like the the um feet shoes and point the feet and point shoes and with the torn stockings. So it's dancing for salon. Apparently, her record company was very upset that she wasn't in the cover image. You know, I. I think too, I really think that maybe why Kate might have been drawn to the red shoes as a title and also the story, like the idea of just like you were saying, her being driven and she is, she's such a driven person. The idea of just, no, I got to keep going. I got to keep going, even though I really am not in a good mental state or anything right now, but I need to just keep going and keep going and keep going. And then there's a double meaning too, with her being a dancer. Because Mm -hmm. dancing was such a part of her art and especially on doing the on the tour of life and in um, like the, the the running up that hill video, like all of that is very incorporating dance. And so I feel like it's, that's probably why Kate might've been drawn to it. It's just this idea of like, I have to just keep going, keep going, keep going, even when I'm not in a good state. Like, uh, like when we get to talk about like our individual favorite songs and everything, like rubber band girl, it's very much about like bouncing back and just trying to, trying to just keep going. Even when you feel like shit, really. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, yeah. And I wonder how much we don't, she doesn't say a lot about this. I wonder how mm-hmm. much of this album is her feeling that the pull of, oh, this is what I do. This is what I'm supposed to do versus wanting these songs and wanting to make these, me- these songs be out here and wanting to make these music. We don't know. She hasn't spoken about that really. Even <laughs> since she hasn't really said, like she's talked about how she has regrets about the line, the cross and the curve. Um, but has and uh, she had regrets about certain ways that the songs in this album came out from which you know because she remade them on director's cut. But yeah, I mean she's not and she doesn't owe it to us. I say like she's not somebody who talks about her feelings much in interviews, and she she doesn't have to. She doesn't owe it to us, and what she owes to us is to make is to make music, and that's what she does mm-hmm. sometimes. Yeah, other times she just takes a break because you know she just got to take a break. So that's so you people got to take a break sometimes. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> um yeah that's it's very much like yeah so she kind of talked about like her in her own words and I, I like this quote that you pulled from from under the ivy um that quote she was determined to go back to a rooted way of working returning more frequently to the piano physically playing the song over and over kneading it into shape she expressed concern about her music being, quote, too complicated for people to take in that they would have to work too hard at it. Ideally, I would like the music to be an easy experience, unquote. Like many artists before and since, after the first flush of wild adventure had passed through her work, Bush began to seek a greater, hopefully more profound simplicity in both her words and her music. This wasn't complete, wasn't a commercial aspiration, more worried that she wasn't communicating as well as she might or really getting to grips with what was happening in her own life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To me, all of that actually illustrates what makes it a less interesting album and explains why all some of those reasons are like sometimes simplicity is not actually the most profound way to communicate ideas and feelings. Sometimes it can come off actually as banal instead. And I think it's hard to strike a balance for any artist between like how to be, how to not be too direct and how to not be too flowery. And I think it's something that she did perfect in many ways in the past and is struggles to get more of a hang up here, which we'll talk about later. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's, so there's um, a source I found 
and it it has it's it's quoted as being the Red Shoes magazine, and I can't quite figure out if this was a supplement to the Red Shoes uh, or to the like the Homeground newsletter or something. I'm not sure. I found it on the Wayback Machine. And I'm going to link to it in the show notes and show description. And there's a lot of when she talks about it, it's Kate's interpretations is what it's called. And a lot of them here, like she, in many of the songs, when she goes through song by song, a lot of it, she mentions like in, so in the song, and so is love that quote, I wrote this song straight onto tape, duff chords and all writing it over a drum sequence. So a lot of this was written like very, like kind of, as they were saying in the quote, like physically playing the song over and over again, needing in its shape instead of like for the dreaming being at the fairlight and coming up with really weird kind of sounds. I do, by the way, take take issue with like, you know, too complicated for people to take in or there was, there was some other quote earlier about it, like not being able to like her previous songs wouldn't have been, would have been difficult to recreate live. I take issue with that because they're like, if you listen to something like the, if you listen to her playing breathing on just the electric piano, that performance for comic relief, she could do it. She could physically like go through and like, even like rework her songs to be more in that kind of arrangement if she had wanted to. So mm, I feel like, no, you just really didn't want to do it. And I'm being super honest with that. Like, you know, you, you, could have done it before but you just didn't want to (laughs) you know what Mm -hmm. I mean yeah no I agree with that I also find it interesting pulling from like this article where she's talking about the album and she says that um my original intention that she wrote the songs pretty quickly and then and my original intention was to make it an album of songs no thematic approaches to try to be more direct with lyrics in the production to try to be more simple I feel there are a lot of diverse styles in the album, making the running order the most difficult yet. I think it is also a personal album, but I also feel it has a sense of humor and a playful quality. And amongst some sad songs, the message is one of the fun and joy of life, trying to make the most of it, which is always best felt when reminded of life's tragedy. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, I think it's interesting. I, and we'll talk about this more later when we share our personal thoughts on the album. The lack of cohesion, I think, is what makes it less not as strong of an album for me than some of her other work um and you know that that's what she had to do at the time and she had to do it you know it's not a I don't think it's a bad album um I think that the things that she's naming right there the lack of the kind of diverse like and also too there are a lot of albums I love actually never forever being a great example never forever what I love about it is that the songs are really diverse from one another and all sound mm-hmm. really different from one another and so you feel like you're getting this smorgasbord you're like at a buffet of all these different musical styles with never forever personally is how I feel mm-hmm. and so I don't think that has to be a bad thing it's that as we'll discuss I don't think the musical styles and such that are done here are as compelling just generally but I do see that she was trying to talk about like life essentially about the balance between sadness and humor like even in a song like moments of pleasure which you know with the instrumentation just feels like a a tearjerker she also incorporates like the idea of things that have made her laugh you know the case of George the wife oh god I can't stop laughing Mm -hmm. so it, it is about the balance between 
all these different emotions in life. Yeah. And I think too, another quote that I was in Under the Ivy, which for those of you who haven't read it, it's a book by Graham Thompson. That's a very well done biography of Kate Bush. Um, the songs are full of doubt, lyrically full of questions. Lyrically, the listener can take their pick of lines that might stand of manifestos for the way she was feeling. For example, we used to say, oh, hell, we're young, but now we see that life is sad and so is love. And it's interesting because I, she and Graham Thompson are interpreting this album as being in large part loss. I actually, not to always go back to the dreaming, but I <laughs> is not only my favorite album, but I think objectively the best album of all time. Mm-hmm. I actually, like Same when here. we talk about the dreaming, I think that the dreaming is about doubt and loss, but in richer, deeper and more profound ways. So for example, um, how the song All the Love, which you can listen to our episode about, and analysis of is about lost connections and in a way that I think is much more meaningful and also moving um, and like sat in your lap is about the futility of searching for a sense of purpose and meaning in life. So those are about loss. Those are things that are related to grief and mourning and questioning life as Graham Thompson said, but in ways that are much more interesting and have much more to dig into versus saying life is sad and so is love. You know, it's a different, you know what the difference is? It's a difference between show and tell, show versus tell. Yes. 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 You know, the first time I died was in the arms of good friends of mine. Oh, that line, that opener. They held me with tears, had me near me for years. Yeah, that line there, like, you don't, you you hear those lines and you know, okay, this is about somebody very lonely versus just saying out loud, we used to say, oh, hell, we're young, but now we see that life is sad and so is love. That that's just, it's very, it is, it's very direct. It's, it's telling where she, where Kate used to show. Yeah, and I don't know how to toe this line. I don't know her, so I don't know how to toe this line between I think sometimes when people talk about this album, The Red Shoes, it's kind of like they use, they're almost psychoanalyzing her, where they're saying like, oh, the loss of her mother meant that she like has to just more directly talk about things. But I don't know if that's fair to her as an artist, yeah. because we know that she's capable of much richer and deeper lyricism. So I don't know that it's fair to her as an artist to say, well, she was struggling with grief Therefore, she couldn't, her work suffered, and also allow for the truth of human life, which is that when we are struggling with grief, it is more challenging to work on things. I mean, she still made this album, you mm-hmm. know, so nonetheless, so, so it's just, it's how do you strike that balance? It's not an answerable question, but it is something on my mind as we discuss this album. Yeah, and even even still, like, the singles did all right, so there were... I know from this album there were there were four singles. I mean, there's five if you count. I, I don't. I found this interesting that there was a non-album track that was released as a single in between the third and the fourth single, which is I'm finding maybe a if I meet him somewhere, maybe Monday, <laughs> maybe Monday. It's, it's a fun single. It is. It, it it's really pretty and like. So I just recently dropped the episode about the King is Dead. The, the Go West song, and now that's very jazzy, and that made me think, oh, yeah, because later she did the cover of uh, The Man I Love, which appears this season. So the leadoff single was Rubber Band Girl. I mean, that peaked at number 12. It That one spent five weeks on the charts, so okay, you know, it's about to go a little long time. Uh, Moments of Pleasure peaked at number 26. Red Shoes at number 21. Two weeks on the chart. Oh, three weeks on the chart for Moments of Pleasure. Two weeks for the Red Shoes title track. And So Is Love peaked at number 26. 
in November 94. So um, by the time that one came around, it was like it, the album had been out for about a year. And then The Man I Love came out in July of 94 and peaked at number 27. It was only on there for two weeks. So, I mean, the, the singles did, they, they did okay. I mean, they were in the top 40 at least. Um, didn't stay on the charts for very long, which I find interesting, which um, if you look at, um, I actually pulled this from officialcharts.com, which, by the way, British listeners, you have a, such a much more navigable website for your charts than the Billboard website does. Because Billboard is just terrible. I'm sorry. Trying to pull up anything on Billboard just ads and everything everywhere and you can't find what you're looking for. I could just plug in like an artist and it tells me right here, like all the times they charted on the albums and singles. Thank you, British people. You've got this right. Okay. I wish, I wish our charts were like this. So yeah, you, you pull them up and what's interesting is just at the time also what some of the stuff was on the charts, like the week that rubber band girl peaked, you had go West by the pet shop boys, Mr. Vane by culture beat. I didn't realize that Depeche mode had a, an EP out that was on there and then you have hers and it's, you know, it's interesting just also seeing like what all was on the charts too at the time. And you can see that, mm-hmm. you know, she was trying to go for something kind of, kind of poppy. I mean, very different from like, I'm also seeing like Mariah Carey <laughs> right below that. I'm going, whoa, that's gotta be mm-hmm. quite the playlist, radio playlist, having her next to, next to Mariah Carey. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, seriously. And I think, it's interesting, too, because I, I've often put myself in the point of view, because as of this recording, I'm 30. I was born in 1991. So I put my, I've often wondered, like, what would it be like to be a Kush, a Kate, a Kush, ha, to be a Kate Bush fan in, in this time and hearing Rubber Band Girl come out? I think for me, again, this, it's, this is my subjective thoughts. This is not, but like, I would feel a little like, is this it? Um, because... I would be like, okay, so this is a rock song. What else is there going to be? Like, if that's the intro, okay, this is what's in because, like, so Cecily and I are also really big fans of Florence and the Machine. Hey. And she, as of this recording, has just come out with three new singles for her next upcoming album, which will be called Dance Viva. And um, what I have liked about those singles is when I've heard them, I've thought to myself, these have the elements of her work that I've enjoyed and also sound like they're moving in a different, in a new direction for her. And if I were to hear Rubber Band Girl come out in the context and of Kate's earlier work, I would think, yes, it's a different direction for her. Is it pushing her into new challenges as well? I don't know that it is. Um, and also, too, to think about that, like, yes, it's still, like, not necessarily conventional. And a re- you had Tori Amos's and Bjork's debut albums coming out around the same time, you know, yeah. which are pushing, which are pushing the envelope for women in music in so many ways. Um, and PJ Harvey's early work, you know, they had that great, the, the iconic magazine cover, the three of them together as kind of mm-hmm. this new vanguard of women in alternative music. So if you especially compare her work amongst what other quote unquote experimental women are doing at that time, it's odd because she really, people think she's so much older than she is. She's only a few years older than Bjork. She just started so young. So it's interesting that like, in a way, it almost felt feels like a younger, a younger generation of women were kind of taking up the vanguard of experimental women music from her during this time. And her music seems to reinforce that idea, perhaps. 
Mm-hmm. So, well, actually, for for context, so Bjork was born in 1965. So she would have been mm-hmm. like very early 30s by the time mm-hmm. um, right, even Red Shoe. And then actually, she she's, has said that she's been very heavily influenced by Kate. And I can yeah. hear it. Like, I can hear a direct mm-hmm. line from Kate Bush to her. Like, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, even more than yeah. from like Kate Bush to Tori Amos. Like, I'm a fan mm-hmm. of both of them. But I can't really see the Tory thing. But that's, of course, a whole discussion for another time. Like, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. just interesting to think about how, like, as they're, like, six years, or, like, seven years apart. It's really, they're not, they're not really part of necessarily a different generation. And yet they feel, for Kate mm-hmm. Bush, like, parts of different, of different generations um, because of when their work has come out. Yeah. And, you know, as far as, like, you know, you, you've kind of started talking about a little bit your, your kind of your thoughts on the album. What's interesting is this actually technically was the first Kate Bush album I ever heard. Um, Because my mom, she knew I liked female singers from the 80s. She went to FYE. She asked the store clerk for any good female artists from the 80s I might like. And the store clerk suggested Kate Bush. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. for Christmas one year, and I want to say it was... It was right before I became a fan. So I was like... Like 2004 or something. Um... I got for Christmas one year, I got a copy of the Red Shoes. I kind of heard of Kate beforehand from Flashback Alternatives, which I've talked a lot about. Um, that really exposed me to a lot of the underground stuff. Um, but I hadn't heard a whole album from Kate at that time. And like, I thought that some of the, I thought the songs were okay. And, and like, I ended up keeping it because it did start to grow on me a little bit. Um, the album is a little bit lower for me in terms of like if I have to rank my favorite albums, it's a little bit lower for me. Um, I I like her earlier slightly more experimental stuff, and the production on this one has always sounded very titty. It sounds like uh, there's something about, and I'm I'm not quite sure what it is that it sounds a little bit more like treble heavy than her previous ones it, it feels like it's a little bit it, it feels more 80s than her 80s work if that makes any sense yeah no it does i had and, the same thought like the, especially the way the synths sound yeah like with the synths and also the drums like the drums feel very like they, they feel kind of they feel kind of plasticky if that makes any sense like it, it doesn't sound like there's a whole lot of heft a lot of like bottom end to them it feels very like they, they just turn the trouble up a little too high so it was a little bit hard for me to get into because I just I couldn't quite get past the sound but there are some songs on here I do like as a whole I don't really sit and listen to it as a whole although I do know that there are there are a lot of fans out there who really love this album. I recently joined a Kate Bush Discord, and there are a lot of people on there who are like, oh, my God, this is my favorite album of hers. So it's got its fans. It's got its, like, like a lot of people who really, really like this, right, like the album. For me, like, the, the songs, they're, they're, I, if I'm in the mood for, for particular songs, like the title track, Rubber Band Girl, or Moments of Pleasure, or Top of the City, like, those are the ones I tend to go to, like, if if I have to put like favorite album, favorite songs from the album together, because those kind of have the, the, some of the Kate Bush magic that I like, like the dynamic shifts and like, you know, the ending of rubber band girl where she actually literally becomes the rubber band. It's like, Whoa. Yeah. Like that's very Kate. (laughs) And I mean, as a whole, I find it kind of uneven. Like if I'm being kind of honest, it's, I, it's like what we've been talking about with like there's there isn't like a um, 
a, a complete theme or anything. It feels like a collection of songs. Mm-hmm. And that's not, for me, that's not quite what I expect of her, though, you know, given what she was going through at the time, there, the, the, like the four, what, one, two, three, like the four songs I mentioned earlier, like those, those I still really like. Those are like some of my favorites. And this is future Cecily punching in here. There was another favorite song from this era that I forgot to mention. Those were the four songs that it, uh, I mentioned there. But then there's another one, too, that I really like. And let me just tell you, I recently recorded the episode for that and can't wait for you guys to hear that. You Want Alchemy. So it was a B-side. So we'll hear about that in the B-side era. But that's another one that I also really like from the Red Shoes era. You Want Alchemy. Anyway, back to the show. And I feel like there's also kind of a more of a conversational personal style that she goes for that doesn't quite feel her um i would expect that more from somebody like i don't know like a almost like a Joni mitchell or something like that like yeah. being like she's not someone who's usually like very direct like that and so it, it like we were talking earlier about the show and show versus tell it feels like there's a lot more of telling where she used to show i mean you know she mm-hmm. was trying to do something different and Honestly, like even against a lot of the pop at the time, it's still miles ahead of anything other people were doing. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, I think yeah. Oh, sorry, what were you saying? Oh, oh, sorry. You know, go ahead. Because then I'm also about to nerd music nerd because there's something else that, like kind of in particular about the album I've noticed compared to her. No, go ahead. Her so you know, I'm a music nerd, and I have in front of me, I have the piano vocal guitar book for the sh- songs from the Red Shoes. And a lot of the songs I noticed are just a, even just a couple of chords. And in fact, Rubber Band Girl, I'm looking at it here. It is nothing but it's a one chord song, A flat major. It just kind of, or it kind of goes between A flat seven or A flat suspended four, but it's all around A flat. Like it's just one chord throughout the song. Um, and so is Love kind of just goes between G, G minor and F. It's just like two chords. A lot of the songs on here are either one or two chords. Or in the case of um, uh, Eat the Music, it's, let's see, that's in the key of D major. D, G, A, D, G, A. And that's the way it is throughout throughout the whole thing. So I could see she was definitely going for something simpler. Like, as opposed to like the songs from The Dreaming or even Houdini. I mean, okay, I'm, I'm going to, like you, I'm going to keep going back to the dreaming because dreaming. Like Houdini, oh my God, you try playing that thing on piano. It's like, okay, where is this chord coming from and blah, blah, blah. But on here, it's it's a lot of like the same couple of chords I noticed, which is very, makes it very different from, from her previous stuff. Yeah, I think actually looking from it, from that point of view is... um from the point of view is helpful to give actually more substance to like an instant, which is the instant of this doesn't feel like it has the same, the same Kate Bush magic. And then that actually substantiates why it doesn't, you know, like the fact of, of what the music, how the music is composed. And I think what you're saying about lyrics is very true. Um, and for me, the main thing is the music. So the, it has more conventional instrumentation, like the guitar on his, like, so Graham Thompson in, under the ID, he called the guitar solo and on So Is Love, a distressingly conventional sound to hear in a Bush oh. album. And actually, I, I, I don't dis, that's thing, I don't dislike any of these songs. Well, besides one, which we'll probably talk about. But, um, and that's for my own neuroses reasons. But, um, 
but it's not that it's bad. It just doesn't feel like what her musical ID has been up to this point. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. People's musical IDs can change. But I think the fact that like, especially on 50 words for snow, she like on a song like Lake Tahoe does feel more like Kate Bush. Um, Mm -hmm does feel more like what her musical ID has been. It feels like this was more of a detour because it does. Okay. Like I did feel like, even though it has the through line of relationships, communication, I've always felt that the central world does feel more like a collection of songs than her other work up to that point, rather than like a unified album. And so this definitely continues on that track. And so as a listener at the time, I just thought, okay, this is where she's going, but it's encouraging that she then shifted back, I think, or shifted mm-hmm. not back. Cause she didn't go to what she was originally doing. She shifted elsewhere. But, um, but I think just because more conventional instrumentation um, is just makes it less appealing to me. It's a perfectly good album. It's a very fine, good album. It's fine. It's, you know, um, I just, I know there are people who really, really love it. Oh, yeah. And I would personally love to talk more to them to understand why, because I don't really see what makes this better than most conventional albums. Um in besides like little things so i do like one thing i do like a lot too is that i like that it opens with a song about the body with rubber band girl mm-hmm. because that is what so much of a career has been about i talked about how i don't remember where i talked about this someplace on this podcast but how i feel like the song <laughs> moving i feel like mm-hmm. the song moving which is the first song on her first album is essentially like the thesis statement for her career like oh, yeah. she's like here's my ad like it's about so much of her work is about the body and how it moves and changes and our relationship with the body. And so I think having that open this album, it continues that theme, even though, like, as I said before, if I were to hear this song, I'd be like, is this Kate Bush? You know, um, I'd be like, this sounds kind of like a normal person <laughs> besides the rubber band part <laughs> at the end. And so title track has the most Kate Bush nods to me. I don't think it's a coincidence that she said it's the one that took her the most time to work on. Yeah. I think, I can no hear coincidence. that. I genuinely love title track. It's so fun. It just sweeps you up. Um, other standouts from your Lily slaps. It's fun. Again, mm-hmm. it's kind of nor like, it's not and it isn't because you have her screaming, who's on the left? Who's on the right? You know, people don't really do but like she that's what I was gonna say too. Like vocally on this album, she's taking on vocally like a rock balladeer style. Which, oh, yeah. and does a great job at it. The vocals are fantastic throughout this album. I just being a nerd, I guess, prefer the more musical theater and theatrical style vocals of her earlier work to the more rock balladeer style. So I think that, whereas for people who love this album a lot, maybe they just generally prefer more of a rock balladeer vocal style. But like, so as much as, yeah, Lily shreds. She shreds a lot on this album. There's a lot of vocal shredding. Mm -hmm. I enjoy it a lot. And I admire her vocals a lot on this album. It's just not what like makes my heart sing. Um, And so too, in terms of what you were saying with lyrics, like um, Graham Thompson called the lyrics heart on sleeve and that's pretty much my issue with them he said how cliches both lyrical and musical begin to appear in her writing it's interesting how much of a struggle her quest for greater directness became spelling out what she was once able to suggest and apply which goes back to your point of yeah. showing verse telling the net results were a significant drop in artistry she's more rest assured when showing rather than telling she does not have an easy natural gift for the vernacular or conversational in the way like someone like Joni Mitchell does. And I think I've noticed that when she goes for the conversational or vernacular, it becomes more labored or obvious versus an earlier poetic style. So you have a line like, um, I think 
probably the best line I've ever written. It's just so, so much going on. Oh, there's a, a good phone reminder. Um, <laughs> where she says, in all the love, only tragedy allows the release of love and grief never normally seen. Like, you're not, there's a line on this, I think it's, I believe it's in um, Big Stripey Lie, which says, like, all your young, gentle dreams of youth come cling on to me. Mm-hmm. I love that line a lot. But there don't, they don't, there are not these poetic lines. So as um, Duran Thompson says, and he's not an authority, I disagree with him on a lot of things. In this chapter in particular, he says a few things I found quite misogynistic, where he says, like, certain things to, like, a grown woman trying to play dress up as a little girl. And I'm like, oh. I smell the misogyny. I, I smell some misogyny. But, um, so, but he did say in her quest for direct communication, everything becomes overstated, which I agree with. You don't mm-hmm. have, like compare from Song of Solomon, the line, don't want your bullshit, just want your sexuality versus the line in Houdini, which to me, both of these lines are trying to evoke like sensuality, sexuality, whatnot. The line in Houdini, it says, with a kiss, I pass the key and feel mm-hmm. your tongue teasing and receiving or from the sensual world and his spark took life in my hand, which like is also crude because she's saying his dick's in my hand, but it's like a poetic <laughs> way of saying it. Mm-hmm. So um, like that, when you, con- when you contrast lyrics that are about similar themes with one another from this album and past albums, that's where I think you see the like the overstatement and how that kind of contributes to, for me, a weaker album, which I want to share. Say again, it's not a weaker album for everyone. This is just my subjective view. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and even for me, like I said, like even even for someone, you know, for anybody else, this could have been like really, really. It could have been very different, or like we compare this to to some other some other pop star. Like this would still be like, whoa, wait a minute, this is kind of diff- different here. And and just for me, yeah, for for me, I I just I find it a little bit uneven, and I I I keep thinking of like her earlier stuff, just and also just the nerd my, my musical nerd standpoint. Like I like the more complex corporations from like Moving or Houdini, mm-hmm. where like you're just like, wait, how did you we get from this chord to this chord? <laughs> but there are still some. There's some songs on here that I I do like, and I kind of like thinking about where where she was in her life and and everything, and you know she was sounds like mm-hmm. she was going through a lot and and everything, and but it, yeah, it, for me it's not a bad album. It's not bad. It's not one of my personal favorites, but I know that a lot of mm-hmm. other people out there and a lot of you guys listening. Especially if you're listening because you just discovered me in the Kate Bush Discord group. You know, I know that you guys are real stands over there of, of the of the album. And so it has its fans and, and I'm glad. And and I know for me, it, it was the first Kate Bush album I ever heard. But I eventually like went on to our other stuff. But I still come back to some of these songs. Like, you know, my personal favorite with you, like the Red Shoes, the album, t- the, the mm-hmm. title track. Hell yeah. In fact, that is my freaking ringtone. <laughs> That is really? my ringtone. That's, that's yes, awesome. it is. It is the intro. Now it's the director's cut version. It is the director's cut version because I do like on I like the red shoes versions of the songs that were on director's cut because they do like it gets away. It, it doesn't sound tinny the way that it sounds to the way that the album songs originally sounded it's it sounds a little bit like richer and a little and and everything so the intro for that song it is my ringtone and i love it because my like people will look at my they're like where is the irish jig coming from (laughs) oh yeah that's my phone hey 
So that one is my favorite song. It's it's got the Kate Bush magic to me, especially with the dancing and all the like the the interplays of the vocals. You know, she's got to dance, she's got to dance, right. and she, she can't stop till her shoes come off. Or they're gonna whip her up like a helicopter. Oh, I love that line. Whenever she leans into the Irish, it always comes out well. Yeah, because it's like she's like, yeah, this is you. You could tell like this is just it's it's her thing. It's what she grew up on. It's very much a part of her. So that is my favorite song from the album. Like I, that that song. Oh my god! And I also really love "Top of the City." That's I've got to say. That's like that's like my second favorite is "Top of the City." I love the lines in there. I love the piano in it. I love the just the dynamic shifts of it. Like that song, just it really really gets me. In fact, I'm gonna try and pull up here. Mm. Let's see, mm. top of the city, number sixty. Okay, page sixty-four. Because I got the got the music book here. You know, I love the up on the angel's shoulders. I don't know if I'm closer yeah. to heaven, but it looks like hell down there. These streets have never been <laughs> paved with gold. Welcome to the loneliest city in the world. But even then, like not to be negative, Nancy. But even then, which is like <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> about, the, about the, the streets paved with gold. Like as Grant Thompson said, there is a very standard cliche in her writing which you would have never seen before yeah like, i'm not even sure exactly what the song is about but mm-hmm. i just get i get caught up in the emotion and and totally. i like how just how they get the Ooh, ah! yeah <laughs> it's like oh Adia, it's good it's good yeah i like that song too i i do wonder i i, I there is no answer because there's not a universe where it's not a kate bush album I do wonder if it wasn't a Kate Bush album, but I listened to it. Um, and again, there's no way to know. I don't know that I necessarily would. That this is, like, I do listen to it. It is something that I do return to. I don't mm-hmm. know if I would, whether if it wasn't Kate Bush. You know? But um, yeah, I also title track my favorite. Um, I've never ranked the songs in this album. Um, I just know the ones I tend to like more and listen to. Lily, as I mentioned, it yeah. has oh, I I really love like Lily. the ritualistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like how ritualistic it is about like, spells and fire i also it also is more of a straightforward rock song though which is like not what i look for from kate bush but i enjoy it and it goes really hard and it's fun um and just all the fire imagery speaks to me um my leo moon and yeah i as much like and so is love i like i enjoy um moments of pleasure i enjoy i feel like she has a little too many inside jokes with herself in the song that kind of take mm-hmm. away from the power, like with the George, the wife and the, um, <laughs> I'm so mean, but I, you know, how she says, um, um, every old, like my mother always said, every old sock meets an old shoe. Ain't that a great saying? I'm like, no, it's not a great saying. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not, but like, so to me, it almost takes away from the song, but it is, Again, I said this about in our reaching out episode. There's, it does feel more like a conventional ballad, and but she sings it beautifully, and it does hit home when you're in that mood. Like I remember after my yeah. great uncle, my grandpa, my grandma's um, brother died, and I was very close with him. And I remember being on the subway and listening to the song, and it was like very. I was definitely really emotional thinking of him and his death, and my and our my relationship with him. Um, so yeah, I mean, Why Should I Love You is fun. It's, we'll talk about this, I'm sure, more in the actual episode for the song. It's really just a more of a Prince song, but I like it Prince. Is. So, you know, I like Prince, so I enjoy it. Um, <laughs> Top of the City, I think, is really 
it had that like that swelling effect that you mentioned mm -hmm. is really fun um rubber so i have a very antagonistic relationship with ethan music <laughs> um oh, oh boy that might be her my least favorite song in her body of work and not mm. out of thinking it's actually bad musically it's more because of my own issues so well i mean there are some things so it's hard for me to draw it apart from the a music video which also comes from the line the cross and the curve mm -hmm. which yikes so it's kate dancing with fruit with all black people and it's very much mm -hmm. the her being mm -hmm. with people who are all black is very much used in a way of like where white people tend to see as like how like actually empowering to people of color where they're like look we're showing how great and free your culture is but it kind of ends up coming off as like oh i can only be my wild self and like with with people who are black and they're also wild and fun which like underlying thing beneath there is savage you know mm -hmm. um and i have a lot of issues i cannot watch it and also um i have i do not eat any fruit like literally not a single fruit so if I have a text, I growing up, I had hearing problems and it made my sense of texture really weird. So all the fruit stuff in this song viscerally disgusts me. Like I actually mm. get a bit nauseous if I, like I can't listen to it. And I forced myself to because I knew we were doing this episode, this episode and I got so disgusted. Oh, so it's like mus the musical piece of it is not bad. It's like engaging, draws you in. But the those lines about like use the and I also really don't I'm just personally disgusted by food and sex metaphors I find them deeply unsexy pretty mm -hmm. much unilaterally other people are different everyone has different things that is not one of, but like the fruit thing. it's mainly the fruit thing I like it's like if you were like scared of clowns and then like you would you like a song about clowns no it would freak you out so I'll yeah, kind of the music. <laughs> and then what is what is since I'm not in an episode I'm just gonna call out the, the lines myself what the fuck is he's a woman at heart and I love him for that I'm like go to therapy you have a lot to unpack <laughs> <laughs> I you know it's it's and a pretty song like it, I mean you you and I were, were looking I kind of raked that number eight out of twelve for me I mean it's it's pretty but I don't I find it a little repetitive in okay. a way that I don't Sorry. really like from Kate Bush. Please don't mm -hmm. kill me. Please don't kill me. It's, it's, it's not one that I go to, but I mean, it's a pretty song. It's pretty. Yeah, it's just, pretty song. That must be nice to be able to get past the lyrics. That must be nice. But, um, <laughs> and I'm usually, I care more about music than lyrics, but as I said, this is personal for me. Me and Fruit have had a lifelong mm -hmm. standoff. So... I literally do not eat well, a single fruit. Besides plantains, which is weird. So I don't like bananas, but we'll eat but well, like fried plantains. Well, plantains are a little different because plantains are more, they're more starchy. Because what we think of mm -hmm. really as bananas is really just a dessert banana. Mm -hmm. And so, okay. and, and it's thought of as a dessert banana because it's got more sugar in it and it's a little bit sweeter versus plantains, which, you know, yes, they are bananas, but they are much mm -hmm. starchier and they're much less sweet. I love fried mm -hmm. plantains. Oh my God. I could go for some fried plantains. Me too. Right oh my God. No, so, I'm making me so, hungry. Same. Anyway, away same, from food. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Other songs in this album, they just tend to, as I said, I've listened to them more because I know other people really love this album. Yeah. And like, for example, I know Diego has talked about being a big fan, who you've had a guest on this show has talked about being a big fan of Constellation of the Heart. So, and I respect Diego's, I really love the way that he analyzes her music and respect his opinion. So I've like listened to it and like 
I, I can see again, it does the interesting column response thing. I'm like, okay, I get what you're doing here. And it doesn't really compel me that much, you know, like same for like big stripey lie. I mentioned that one lyric I like, and I met a, I had an acquaintance once who like loved that song. Yeah. I just don't, I think it's like fine. Song of Solomon. I actually do like more. As I said, I find the lyrics so overstated, but the music is sexy. And like the one, the trio Bulgarka kicks in. That mm-hmm. part of the top, the, I'll do it for you. And then the, their backing, it, it's very moving and sexy. Um, so she accomplished, she, she accomplished the assignment she set out for, which was to turn one on with that song. But then the lyrics are kind of cringy with how overstated they are. So it's like, let me try to ignore that and just like get the ambiance. Cause like, but it's a sexy song. And it is. I, you're the one to me is just so like, I was like, I hate to be, redundant it's and you say word over and over but c word conventional you're the one i'm like this is just a breakup song okay and you have the, the trio mm-hmm. of dark that i appreciate their presence i think always makes things better rocket tales my favorite kate songs but um and if anyone here listening compare rocket tail to the new florence single um heaven is here you'll be like oh, the lineage siblings these songs are siblings and we love these siblings they're great my favorite siblings <laughs> um so that's something i want to throw out there but yeah, I'm just like, this is just a breakup song. Okay. And I like, I remember on the, um, the mm-hmm. 2014 documentary, the Kate Bush story, where you have that, um, the one guy who's like singing along to Whitney, so moved by it. I'm like, so I'm, I'm glad it does speak to things. Like, mm-hmm. I actually think like the line, which is everything I bought, I bought with you. Like everything, I, it, it actually reminds me of um, the Dusty Springfield song. I just don't know what to do with myself. What she's talking on that song. Mm-hmm. You know it? Yeah. Yeah, she, it's basically about how what's so hard about a relationship ending is losing your best, as Kate says, you're my best friend. You lose your friend. You lose the person who's your go-to default person that you like share your life with. And so it's like, who do I call who I know is going to want to see this movie with me? Who do I, you know, it's like just little, the little ways in which the ending of a relationship are such a big loss. I do think the song does a good song of capturing that. And uh-huh. yeah. it does. But and it, yeah. it's not something, but I don't ever expect like a breakup song from Kate Bush because mm-hmm. but I mean and there were you were you were saying with that I just don't know what to do with myself I think of this uh, I think of another song it's a uh, take the box by Amy Winehouse obviously mm-hmm. her version is like very conversational and I mean you know when I left my shit in your kitchen I say goodbye to your bedroom that smell to you but it's like this whole like you know everything I bought I bought with you makes me think of this because all the things you know, the machino bra you brought me last Christmas put it in the box put it mm-hmm. in the box like this idea of like everything that you your your partner gave to you and now you're having to take mm-hmm. it away and all this other stuff yeah. yeah I don't I don't ever think of yeah, that one's kind of a little bit lower for me. Like, it's, there are some times where, like, the ending when he, she's saying sugar, that part, I remember the first time I heard that, when I first, like, played the album all the way through, that did strike me as, like, whoa, okay, that that part did, like, make me cry a little bit because I could feel like she oh, was just really? kind of, mm-hmm. Because, again, not to be a bitch, but I have the opposite reaction to that part. That part is where I'm, like, you're literally saying, like, Mick Jagger said, like, sugar, honey. Like, that's how, like, that's how people have always talked in rock songs, which is not what you do. Like, yeah. And I mean, that was like first time I heard it. And now like over time, like I, I kind of, I don't listen to that one quite as much because I don't, I don't really go to Kate Bush for, for breakup songs, but you know, like you were talking about with that, that guy that you saw in the documentary, 
I'm glad that that other people enjoy it. And it does. It does speak to a pretty universal experience. It's not quite an experience yeah. that I expect from Kate Bush. But, mm-hmm. you know, she was trying something different. <laughs> and I think it's an important experience because people, mm-hmm. when they talk about breakups, don't talk about like that. The, what I was saying before, like the default person thing, like how usually the person you're relationship with is your default person. And like, I and I actually think the Dusty Springfield song, I just don't know what to do with myself, is like the perfect example of a way to communicate that in the way that Kate was trying to hear, in the way that like she describes, like I'm trying to just directly state emotions. Like, I mean, she didn't write that song, but the way Dusty Springfield, but the lyrics in that song, just very much she talks about like going to the movies, always, like just the things she used to do with her partner that she now can't do with her partner anymore and how not being able to do those things with her partner makes her sad. And she's like naming those experiences and it's deeply moving and resonant. And um, so I think like, so in, and, and also too, there's a song. So my other favorite artist is Joanna Newsom and she has a song called But Not Suffice. So it's interesting because I think with that theme of like the part of relationship where like you're losing, because two, we have to remember again, we don't know if this song is about Del Palmer or not. It's interesting that she has this like, breakup song when her relationship of 15 years is broken up, but we also don't want to assume, at least I don't want to assume that it's about Del Palmer um, or about herself. But, but if you've been with someone, for, I've never been with anyone for 15 years. I mean, if you're with someone for 15 years, you've built such a strong foundation in life together. So yeah. that is such a massive loss. And also they work together. Um, and continue to work together. So it's not just a life part. It's, it's a life partnership in every way. Um, and so that's such a loss to grieve of the changing tenor of what that relationship is going to be. Um, so I so I think it's really poignant that she's putting that out there. But with the Joanna Newsom, so it's interesting. I think the Jesse Springfield song is kind of the perfect version of like this. I'm going to straightforwardly say my emotions about how this feels. And then the Joanna Newsom song does not suffice. Suffice is the epitome of telling not showing because um i'll look up the lyrics now but it's basically it's almost like a little vignette into um into so the album that it comes from have one on me which is such a miracle such a i was gonna say i was gonna say masterpiece i said miracle but it truly is actually a miracle as well it's just it's such an amazing oh anyway and which song um, is this from from which song is it so it's called Does Not Suffice. So I'm looking at the lyric. So it's about how, so the whole album tracks the course of a relationship and Does Not Suffice is the final song. And it, I will pack, so it's about how she is picking up her stuff from the home she has shared with her partner and how taking that stuff away. And through her describing her taking her things away and how they're going to be living separate lives, it's just so, oh, it's shattering. It's shattering. Um, she says, I will pack up, I'll, I'll, I will pack all my pretty dresses. I will box up my high-heeled shoes. And then, like, list these things that she's, mm-hmm. and then also she's talking out, too, like, what, I love this part a lot. I picture you rising up in the morning, stretching out in your boundless bed, beating a clear path through the shower, scouring yourself red, the tasks of hangers swaying in the closet, unburdened hooks and empty drawers, and everywhere I tried to love you is yours again and only yours like mm. oh even just like but the thing is oh that God. is what kate is communicating in this song but this is doing it i think like through poetry it is mm-hmm. what kate's doing and like i've lived it i had i had what i called like a does not suffice moment i remember it was an ex who i who our breakup was in 2017 i had been storing not story i like actually my hobby of the dreaming so like this ex got me to dreaming on vinyl so um 
there were certain things that of mine that just had been at their place. And I remember like, and I think a lot of people in relationships that end have had this experience when that, like you have that last encounter of like, I'm going to their place and I'm going to pick these things up. And that's the last one. And, and they just personal. And you wonder, like, you think about, like, Joanna Newsom does in that song, about this person and how they're living their life from day to day without you. And you're living your life. And you wonder, are they thinking about me? And, and you think about those hooks that your clothes used to be on that are now empty. And it's beautiful. And this is not a Joanna Newsom podcast. So I'm sorry for derailing. But <laughs> one should never be sorry for talking out, I think, the greatest lyricist of all time. But um, but I feel like it's interesting that she is getting at that same experience. Like, it is a very similar experience. It's talking about the idea of the what used to be a fused life life together now separating into two separate ones and for kate like she's so it is the part that really gets to me and you're the in you're the one is when she says you're my best friend like it, it, that i think does really hit close to home because she there are times when saying something very blatant like baldly does make an impact and her throwing that in there really shows you like what this change in again it, it isn't necessarily a loss because they might still be friends, but their relationship will never be what it was. Yeah. And and it's like for that to change with someone who's your best friend is really hard. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean you could see what she she was trying to do, you know, something a little bit different there and and everything. And, and you know, I, I'm looking at the as you were talking, I was looking at the lyrics. I really need to listen to more Joanna Newsom. I really need to. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Yes, yes, I do. The agenda is spreading. The agenda is spreading. The issue is her voice is even more divisive than Kate's. So there's certain mm-hmm. people where like certain people are just not going to be able to listen to her music because of her voice. And I respect that. You know, like certain people just can't stand certain voices. Yeah. That's fair. That's fine. But if if you do like her voice, then I mean even if you don't like her voice, just go read her lyrics with poems and be mm-hmm. very moved. Yeah, because I'm also just... the way she her melody too. It's like the way she says certain words, the way the music comes in. Like so you can't just read with poems. Anyway, stand doing the music. Who also does so, not like to release many much work. I know. So so I guess like I don't know, what else do we have to say about the I think we pretty much talked about everything kinda I mean yeah. there the oh critical reception. I mean, she seems to have been kind of a lot of people. Here's uh, the Observer. They were saying that it was uh, Bush's most pensive album yet. Its mood of wistful mystery maintained by elaborate arrangements. Hmm. The occasional number is overwrought, but the best confirmed Bush as an artist of substance, which you know it is true. Um, the Independent on Sunday added, "There's nothing here that quite compares with her most splendid songs: 1980s Breathing and 1986's The Big Sky." But the Red Shoes is a triumph nonetheless. Um, NME, uh, who has said some interesting things about her in the past, <laughs> said, how many of us can stand the self-imposed exile that has been the adult life of Kate Bush? She's elevated privacy to an art form. It's her most personal <laughs> album wait, to date. <laughs> I know. Just, just you. Wait. Just you, like White. He that and like, took it as a challenge. Yet it is her most accessible in which the listener can identify directly with the pain she's trying to pull herself through. And like we've been talking about, yes, like there are some lines in particular that that people are drawn to that like when I read when I've when I've read through like what other people have said about about the album on uh, the Kate Bush Discord I'm a part of. Hey, by the way, shout out that one's going to be in the in the uh, show notes if y'all use discord and you want to talk with other Kate Bush fans yeah two other points before I have said all I 
intended to say, which is one is like with the, I know some people sometimes say they feel like the guests overwhelm Kate, that they take away from her style. I actually don't think that's true. Mm -mm. I don't feel like they overshadow her. Um, I think that they, even like, for example, why do I love you sounds like a Prince song more than a Kate Bush song. You know, I don't feel like she gets overly overwhelmed. It's more that something that occurred to me is that for me, when I, again, this, I don't want to hypothesize, but when I find myself more unsure of what to do, I ask for help usually more often. I mean, that's what we all do, right? But like, I tend to, um, if anyone's into the Enneagram, I'm a type six and a type six, it means that your like core motivation is like to feel a sense of safety and security. And so like not feeling, feeling unsure of oneself is kind of the norm. And like always you're often as a type six when you're in like a less healthy place, seeking out too many opinions from others and not rely, not having your own like inner voice tell you what guide you. So I wonder if maybe she was feeling less, like as if, like not having like an inner muse speak to her as much and therefore reaching out to others for assist, like for guest spots in the album because of that. Again, only a hypothesis, but perhaps like I think, cause this is also somebody who's so, has always been so in control of her music that for mm -hmm. her to have, like she said in the uh, other interview poll, that she's like, oh yeah, when Prince said that clippers, that was funny, but like, it's hard to imagine her being okay with somebody else totally taking over her song in that way. And mm -hmm. I think it'll be interesting, I'm going to put this subtly, to see with collaborations that she may or may not do in the future, mm -hmm. wink, wink, nudge, okay. nudge. If you've gotten mm -hmm. this far into the episode, if, if, congratulations, you get a gift if you've gotten this far in the episode, which is that, <laughs> um, which is a hint that for, again, it is being recorded March 13th, 2022. I don't know when it comes out. I don't know when July. things might be announced. It'll be in July, July. sometime. Certain, so things are, I have, I have family music business. I know some things. Let's put it that way. I know some things. And so I, all I'm going to say is that I think that if and when there's collaborations with her in the future, it, firstly, it shocks me that she might have collaborations. Anyways, anyways, not going to go there. <laughs> it's interesting to know, to see like what, does her, a collaborative Kate Bush look like? Because that so goes against who she's been as an artist. So I wonder if here she's kind of like, I have less of an idea of what I want to do. So maybe the contributions of others will inspire me. Mm hmm. I don't know if you felt that way. Um. Yeah, I feel like it. It, it was like when because it feels like there was a lot going on in her life, and that. Yeah, she was definitely reaching out to people to just, you know, try and get a little help in places. And, and I don't, I don't feel like it, it bring, I don't feel like the guests bring it down at all. Like, you know, mm -hmm. I feel like, I feel like this whole thing was her just trying, like, basically just trying something new. I mean, even her trying mm -hmm. to do, like, a, a more live band feel, like, people mm -hmm. playing together in a room as opposed to her sitting at the, the Fairlight and fiddling with knobs and things like that, like she did on The Dreaming. Um, mm -hmm. But I think that was all just part of her just trying something new. Her trying mm -hmm. to be a little more direct, trying to do more of a live band feel so that they could probably take it out on the road. Even though, like, again, I, I think that even, you know, there, there are some other artists, like, you know, we both like Florence. And mm -hmm. even some of her stuff is really complex, especially with all the vocal layering, but she still can perform them live. She can still change it mm -hmm. up a little bit. She could have done that as she wanted to, she, but mm -hmm. you know, 
I feel like the, the, the whole thing was her just trying something new and yeah I guess I don't know if you have any more points I have one more point in this album which is okay I have one more point in this album which is crucial to understanding it it's very important which is not it's very superficial and shallow but I can't not say when I talk about this album which is great gowns beautiful gowns and what that means is it kind of became a meme so you, <laughs> do you know the reference no i don't so there was an interview years ago with aretha franklin where they're asking her what are her thoughts on different different artists and so they asked her you know this person oh great singer great writer all this they get to taylor swift and she goes great gowns beautiful gowns and that was kind of for a lot of people the epitome of shade because Mm. um because it's basically aretha franklin saying like i don't know what else to say besides great gowns like you know like i don't have enough thoughts about this person or i don't think enough positive things about her to say anything else like to actually because for other people she was commenting more on their artistry and then for taylor she goes great gowns beautiful gowns it's very funny but um (laughs) great gowns so i kind of think of this album as great gowns beautiful gowns sometimes because i really again i an issue i had i feel like a lot of what i guess i will call the new tiktok fans of kate is that they tend to really hyper fixate on like her imagery imagery and persona versus her music and that yeah, I don't think is I think it's that pulled to being a Kate Bush fan in a lot of ways or to what kind of mission of her career has been but like so I don't want to fixate too much on her image but I really enjoy her aesthetic at this time I mean yes I hate fruit so the fruit dress kind of freaks me out but like she's doing like a lot of hair extensions and I my whole thing is to be a woman from a pre affiliate painting so I'm like girl yes um one of my the picture of her from this era, I have to put the album of her in the polka dot dress. Google Kate Bush 1973 polka dot dress. One of the best photos of her because her hair is so long and red and just like my goal. Um, I'm a redhead too. And and like I just really enjoy her aesthetic around this album. There's a lot of leather. Mm-hmm. So like in the And So Is Love 1994 Top the Pop performance, which let us know is her last performance on TV to date. Um, I mean, maybe when this comes out in July 2022, she will have been on like jimmy fallon with unnamed collaborator but um you know <laughs> but this is her last tv appearance of day and she's like this aesthetic speaks to me where she has this like hair extensions down to her ass and front you can't tell in front but when they show her from the back it goes down to her ass which is my dream for myself and red lipstick and leather jacket i'm just like yes yes like love the vibe love it so that is the most important thing on the red shoes great gowns people gowns <laughs> <laughs> no, I know what like you the mean. Hair, when we talk about the line across and the curve, the whole title means being having like, oh, hair in this, oh, hair in this. Hair in this. So <laughs> I apologize in advance. No, I see what you mean. Like, I, I actually, while you were talking, I see what you mean with the with the polka dot dress. Yes, I love that. Oh my god, I love that dress. I have a dress that's black. My polka dots. Whenever I wear it, I'm like, this is my Kate Bush 1993 dress. But it's more like, it's, that picture's about the hair. It's just like, and just her aesthetic around the early 90s. I don't know. She was killing it, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like leftover, even from the sensual world, where I love like her hair and everything in that era, too. Yeah. Like, it's just very, very flowy. And yeah. Oh, my gosh. She's so pretty. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Um, gosh. So, I don't think I have any other. Oh, there's also. Oh. Oh, sorry, one other thing. <laughs> okay. So if anyone doesn't know this, just you have to Google. One of the best things to come out of this album is I believe it was Q magazine to cover with her. Oh yeah. Album, where the headline is Booze, Fags, Blokes, and Me. K 
tasteless. Mm-hmm. And it's a picture of her looking like she's like just told some really long story and she's kind of like, really? Like she looks very annoyed. In this <laughs> oh, picture. yeah. And in a leather jacket with an updo. She looks, as I said, it's, it's a great aesthetic, great aesthetic, great gowns, beautiful gowns. Just that head look. Because, okay, obviously, fags in in the UK does mean cigarettes, but they knew what they were doing. Like that cover is meant booze, fags, blokes, and me. It's so funny, too, because according to anyone who's ever encountered her, she's had like such a non rock star lifestyle but they're mm-hmm. playing it up like that and then her on this cover is looking like exhausted with life like ennui it's so great best thing to come out of this of this era yeah and even more than that the the headline she never said anything like that in the entire fucking interview no <laughs> no it's, it's just like, like what they're trying to create this fallacious thing I mean, I'm googling it now just fucking have a laugh Nice yeah, me too. I, I have to pull this up here. It's been a while since reaching I've seen out. It. Booze, yeah, booze. Q magazine, booze, bags, blokes, and me. And she just looks on the cover. She's like, it looks like someone who wants. Like, she's like, when is this photographer gonna leave? Kate Bush, the Q interview, booze, bags, blokes, and me. <laughs> like, I mean, she has a lot of f words in her life, but that's not what she. Was. Uh, I blokes. It's and like yeah, blokes. She was with the same guy for fifteen years. Like how how salacious. Um, always but yeah great cover great iconic cover just google that is. google booze bags looks in me and i'm, I'm actually up. gonna link to it in the show description because y'all gotta see <laughs> this holy shit <laughs> it's but, so good it's so good i do i like describes her fan base more than her <laughs> i say this as a member of her fan base who that relates to so i think yeah, I think that's pretty much it. I mean, for me, just kind of wrapping up, like, just for my general thoughts that, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's not a top five favorite for me, The Red Shoes, but it does have some songs on there that I like that, that kind of speak to me a little bit. But I, I generally listen to some of their other album, her other albums before I come to this one. I don't like it doesn't like there's other work by other artists were like like oh actually i think or reverse like what i was saying too i was like i get why people wouldn't like joanna newsome and mm-hmm. like or like there are certain things that i do i like, artistically appreciate it but just it's not for me i yeah i just wanted i'm curious to know what about this feels so revelatory um for others i know a lot of people tend when i've heard from people love it they tend to talk about yo that is about grief and loss and stuff i'm like and so is the dreaming so well, and a lot of those people are going to be on this season because we've already started booking yeah. and everything. So it's going to be great. At this point, at this point, you're the first person I've talked to about anything from the Red Shoes. So mm-hmm. um, I've managed to find some from some fans, especially for Constellation of the Heart and a couple of these mm-hmm. others that be like, OK, so you said this is your favorite. Explain why it's your favorite. Hey, what does this song mean to you? So That's got some good great. people who who absolutely love the songs on here. So it'll be really, really good to talk to them. Um, and on that note, and on that on that note, thank you so much for being on the show, and it's good to good to have you back on the show, and all that. Yay! Yay! Yeah, and we'll talk again for Line Across the Curve because I am my background is a lot in film studies and film stuff, so I actually really like the Line Across the Curve more more than most people. So I'm excited to talk about it. Awesome, awesome, and we'll talk to you then. Hey everyone, so this is future Cecily right here. So I'm actually recording this on the day that this is coming out, October 15th, 2022. And I just wanted to add a quick little note that first of all, as always, I'm really excited to start a new season for the show Strange Phenomena, the music of Kate Bush. I want to thank you guys so much 
for listening as well, for listening and sharing. And I know quite a bit, quite a few people have found the show because of Stranger Things and just people retweeting the show. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for your support and thank you for listening and everything. Yay. So next week's episode is going to be a little bit different. Usually the episode that follows the album introduction episode is, well, the first song from the album. But I thought I would do things a little differently. So next week is going to be a blow by blow commentary of the line, the cross and the curve. So I got together with Zoe uh, not long after we recorded this album introduction episode. And we had decided, you know, why don't we do like uh, an audio commentary for the film? And so we decided to do that. We did that on a Sunday afternoon, I believe. And the first part, we kind of talk about the history of the, of the movie. And then the bulk of the episode is going to be basically our commentary as we're watching the movie in real time. So this is an, the next week's episode then is something that you can actually listen to while you're watching the movie. And don't worry, we'll let you know in the episode when to start actually playing it, to start playing the movie so that what we're talking about syncs up with what you're seeing. But in any case, I've listen to other podcasts that do this kind of thing. And I've always wanted to do something like this. And I knew immediately I wanted to do this for the line of the cross and the curve. And it was a really, really fun recording that. And I think you guys are going to really, really enjoy that. So that's what's coming next week. And then the week after that, we're going to start doing rubber band girl. We're going to go into the first song. As of this recording, I already have all but one track pretty much accounted for. So if you're a big fan of Big Stripey Lie, that is the only album song that doesn't have anybody already lined up for the song. So if you're a big fan of Big Stripey Lie, then make sure you contact me. You can contact me either on Twitter at StrangeKateCast, on Facebook, facebook.com slash katebushpodcast, and also by email, katebushpodcast at gmail.com. Also remember, we have a hotline, so if there is... A particular song that you want to just leave a couple of words about, you can go 1-757-349-6369. And that's a little hotline there. And your message could be played on a future show. Whew. Anyway, well, I don't know about you, but I'm about to go off and start watching The Line, The Cross, and The Curve again. So in the meantime, thank you so much for listening, guys. And I will see everybody next time. Bye! (laughs) 